everyone. Welcome back to the It's My Game podcast. I'm super excited to have Nikki here with me today, who is a fiance, a mama to be, who is originally from New Zealand and currently living in Canberra. Her background is in finance. However, she recently changed careers after studying through IIN to become an integrative nutrition coach and additionally completing her advanced hormone course. Nikki loves sharing her own experiences and helping women achieve mind-body balance. As a result, she started up her own coaching business this year to help women achieve natural hormonal balance and HA recovery, which is amazing. And I'm so happy to have you in the space today. Welcome. Uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, what is your business called, just to start off with? Um, I've called my I called my Instagram page the Wellness Antidote, and it's just stuck. So that is my business. <laughs> yes, I love it. I actually found you a few weeks ago, and then it took me a little while to reach out to you because um, I bought your ebook. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, yes, it's nice. lovely. It's really, really nice. So definitely anyone who's interested to check that out, really. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, now, why don't we dive into it? Do you want to share with us your HA story, how the recovery looked and where you're at now? Because obviously you are a mama to be. And how many weeks are you at the moment? I'm 38 and a half. So, so you could pop any moment. Yeah, my due date's next Friday. So um, yeah, we're very, very close to the end now, which is cool and crazy. We'll probably dive into some of the pregnancy stuff a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, sure. So cool. All right. Awesome. So why don't you share with us what HA was like for you? Sure. Um, I said this on another podcast recently. I always find it hard to know where to start and like how to do a nutshell version. But basically, I HA for me personally was like the wake up call. Like it was... I had a very long, most of my life, over half my life, 15 years, I was um, dealing with like orthorexic tendencies after overcoming an eating disorder. When I was 14 years old, I had anorexia. Um, I was doing ballet and I, I, yeah, I've had a really quite a bad eating disorder around that age and I did come overcome that. But then for the most part, I sort of just became really obsessed with health and fitness um, and that was most of my life I was on the pill for about eight years so I imagine that probably masked a lot of hormonal issues that I had going on um, I did get my period back naturally after coming off the pill and it was sort of on and off and all over the place um, but then I lost it completely in 2019 it went missing um, so that's when I, yeah, basically got diagnosed with HA. Um, I think for me, like, I knew I knew that I had a tendency to be a bit too restrictive and controlling with my food and exercise, but it wasn't until I realised what HA was and what I was doing that I had actually contributed to me losing my period um, in 2019. I did go through quite a stressful period as well, so I did ramp up the controlling my food and exercise um, because that's sort of what I used to do when I was really stressed. It was like a coping mechanism as such mm. for me. Yeah, I, I was the same way on the stress front. It was, um, I didn't know how to regulate my emotions through the actual stressor that was life, whether it be work relationships or whatever it might be. And it was like, but if I smash myself at the gym, like that's that's how I cope and um, it was almost meditative it's like even though you're exhausting yourself it distances you from what's overall consuming you but at the time you can't see that you just 
yeah, it just, you know, you feel better when you're in that space. But in hindsight, obviously, it's a lot easier to see that you're running away from something or you weren't ready to confront something. Mm -hmm. Um, But 14 years old, that's so young for an eating disorder. Um, So I come from a gymnastics background and eating disorders are quite common in that space as well. Did your, do you think it was sort of triggered by just the idea of needing to be tiny or was there other things going on? like your ballet instructors and things like that yeah it was it was toxic like now I think back and I know it's sadly still like this in a lot of like dancing and gymnastics and stuff probably not as bad but I had in my head I remember having in my head that I had to be skinny to be a good ballet dancer like I, Mm. I just that was what was in my mind and I was doing at one point mum calculated I was doing like 30 hours of dance a week so you can imagine like how much I would have needed to fuel myself and I just wasn't eating I've just started starving myself and I was so so sick and so tiny but it was almost like it was okay because all of our ballet teachers and stuff would say you know you can um do more when you're hungry and you can run faster when you're hungry and like Mm. just some really bad stuff and teaching us all sorts of horrible things about nutrition and um yeah it was quite a toxic environment to be in um but yeah my mum did pull me out and she put like I did get help for that eating disorder um so I stopped like I stopped the dramatic side of it as such you know I Mm -hmm. I gained weight and that kind of thing but I think I just never really got over the self-esteem the self-worth sort of part of it and redirected my energy to being okay now I have to be really fit and healthy yeah, I think when you're that young as well to get the feedback of needing to be small, needing to eat less, because I was exposed to similar things. Um, and again, looking back in hindsight, I can sort of place where things started to shift is because as a child, I didn't recognize that I was placing my self-worth in my size. Yeah. Um, and I was quite muscly as a kid. So I had like the six pack abs and things like that. And um, I look back now and I remember everyone used to comment on, look at her little abs and look at this and look at that. And of course they were being kind and nice and um, obviously meant nothing at all by it. But when you hear that praise for so long, I, I didn't even know that I'd created that belief, but it got to a point where it's like, I'm, I'm not valid as a human unless I've got those muscly abs and, you know, muscly little arms and things like that. So um, I remember when I stopped doing gymnastics, I, I gained heaps of weight because like what you were saying with the training, I was training 24 hours a week, I think. Yeah. Um, and I stopped because I had fractures in my back, which now again, I link into malnutrition. I wasn't eating enough. So yeah. who gets stress fractures in their back at that age? And I had one in my foot too. Um, and I remember gaining all of the, all this weight kind of out of nowhere and hand in hand. That's when I've got my first period too. I was 16. So yeah. it delayed it. Um, and I just remember that being such a dark hole of my life because I gained this weight. I lost my identity. Um, I had no self-worth at all. And then obviously I found health and fitness again, which was like paralleling my gymnastics life. Yeah. And then that led, it's like I relived the same thing, but in an adult theme. So yeah. it was like, I, I did the extreme dieting, all the exercise, lost my period. And then again, you know, you've got to gain the weight, you've got to find yourself. Mm. And it's crazy how, especially if you've done an elite sport when you're younger to think how you actually repeat a lot of it without, without yeah. recognizing, do you feel like you can draw parallels between that ballet time of your life and sort of your HA life when you're an adult? 
definitely because it's it's that praise and it's that tying yourself worth to it that's where it all came from like I I can remember so many situations where I was praised for being in a smaller body and then it happened again in my adult life with oh my gosh you're so um committed to gym or you're so tiny or you're this or you're that and it's exactly the same and so once again that unfortunately boosts your self-esteem if you're placing so much mm. of it to that and um it's just yeah it's a vicious cycle it happened all over again absolutely that's why I think it's so hard to retrain your mindset like and that's the hardest part of mm. the recovery when you realize yeah and I, I refer to it a few times it's almost like it's a default setting for a lot of us because we've got more practice in the mentality of dieting and exercising than what we do when it comes to what we need to do to actually nourish and fuel our bodies yeah. um, and, and rest for that matter. Yeah. Um, and sometimes once you get your period back, then the next challenge begins, which is maintaining it. Because again, you've got months of or years of this preconditioning that it's almost as soon as you relax too much, you accidentally slip back there, mm-hmm. um, which is on the other side of it, sometimes where you can become fearful once you get your period back to start exercising again, because it's like, I, I want to add in these changes, but I'm too scared of going too dramatic and slipping away because I didn't know that I did it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that that pops up with some of your clients? Um, definitely, definitely. I haven't experienced it. So it's a hard one for me to know, but I already, like, I'm already anxious about that after you know, I breastfeed and get my period back. Um, but yeah, I do have it in a few of my clients. It's like then, okay, so you've done all the hard work to get your period back. And then it's like this whole new thing, finding that balance um, mm. and finding what your body is going to tolerate as well and how sensitive you are and all the rest of it. I think, yeah, we talk about so much, we talk about recovery and getting your period back, but then it's like, okay, you've actually got quite a lot of work to do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely it's about that consistency and really making sure that there is, um, a balance there. I think it's easier because, you know, you know, having, after you've lost it and, and knowing how hard you need to work to get it back, um, you, you are more on the mindset that you've got to nourish your body properly and stuff like that and fuel to train, but it's definitely a bit of an obstacle that one. Yeah. And just to highlight, I wasn't being rude for anyone listening when I said, do your clients experience it? And like what you just touched on, it's a little bit tricky for you to share your experience with that because you kind of had a different experience with your HA recovery. Do you want to share with us sort of how the first cycle didn't happen? Yeah. So I never got my period back. So that's why I am a little bit, I'm I'm just not sure when it's going to, what it's going to be like for me because I didn't get my first recovery period I ovulated so I was due back my first recovery period but because we were trying to get pregnant um we timed it it was a miracle really like it was <laughs> crazy timing we timed it perfectly and I fell pregnant on that first ovulation so um I never got the recovery period as such so let's so how did you find out you were pregnant um so <laughs> funny story that one I I cracked it halfway through recovery as you do well many many, many yes. times <laughs> um there was so many ups and downs and in one of the really dark times um you know I'm over 30 and I was like I need I just wanted a baby so badly um I knew I needed to recover for my health but I just I so desperately wanted to get pregnant um I thought when I was starting to get impatient with the recovery process, 
I booked in to see a fertility specialist. I saw a few actually. Um, this one, I got put on a three month waiting list because she was a really sought after um, fertility specialist and she basically, yeah, I couldn't see her for three months. So I had to wait. The day that I got in to see her, um, I, had got some, I had gotten some blood tests done a week or so before that. And so I brought them into the appointment. I sat down and we went through a fertility plan. Basically, she told me about climate and all the rest of it. And in my mind and in my heart, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. I always wanted to do this naturally. But like I said, I was that upset and fed up. I, I was actually in tears when she was telling me all of this because I was just like, this is maybe what I'm going to have to do. But then she looked at my blood test and she said, it actually looks like you probably ovulated already. Um, so you should, we won't do any of this right now. We'll just wait just a week or so because you probably will get your period back. It looks like you're going to get it back this weekend or something. Or you're pregnant. And I was like, what? Like, just mind blown. Like, I could not believe it. And so she sent me away from that appointment. I paid $350 for her to basically give me a bit of a plan and then send me on my way. But I, having her say that to me, I drove, I was driving home and I stopped in at the supermarket and I was like, I'm just going to take, get some pregnancy tests because I've been trying really hard. Like, what if I am pregnant? Um, and I had just been tracking my basal body temperature and I had seen it spike a little bit, but I wasn't tracking it long enough to actually mm. be able to pinpoint ovulation. It was just good timing. So then, yeah, I go home and I'm telling my partner everything that happened at the appointment, blah, blah, blah. And I start taking pregnancy tests and I got a 10 pack and I took like seven in a row, um, positive, all positive. And I actually, yeah, I found out that I was pregnant that way. It was so oh, wow. wild. <laughs> That's incredible, especially because you've gone to that appointment, been overwhelmed with the idea of needing, you know, medical intervention. Um, and then all of a sudden, just that suggestion of you might be pregnant. I can't imagine how your emotions would have been. And then, so on the pregnancy test front, I completely understand doing a thousand tests just to be sure. Cause I did the same thing when I found out I was pregnant and I think I continued, oh, I think a good three weeks. I just kept taking, cause I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. Um, and for me, I had three recovery periods until I, and then I fell pregnant, but um, we weren't necessarily trying. We just weren't having protected sex. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was yeah um so it was a little bit of a surprise for us as well because it was like oh and even my husband said he goes I thought it would have taken at least a year or two you know you <laughs> haven't had one for six years like are you sure and then I whip out all these tests and I'm like I'm sure oh my gosh. so you recovery <laughs> periods and then pregnant yeah yeah oh, through cool. and then pregnant yeah. so I think um my first oh, there's maybe 30 days between the first two and then the third one, there was like 60 days between. And I know why, because I, I just got carried away and I decided I'll just add in one run a week. And yeah. I'm not even a runner, but for some reason, I just decided that was a good idea. Um, before that, I'd just been walking yoga. And I think I added in one weight session a week after the second period. because so I was like, oh, look, it happened 30 days later. And I remember years and years ago when I did get my period, I was around about a 30-day cycle. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'll just have a play. Um, and then obviously I got that second one and I just, yeah, got way excited. Um, so I added in running once a week for, I think I did four or five weeks and then I sort of went, well, yeah, I've, I've skipped it. Like, I'm not going to get this period. And then I took my 
foot off the pedal for a little bit, just went back to what I was doing, had that third period. Um, and then I'm waiting for my fourth, cracking it, being like, where is it? Oh, I'm no. working so hard. <laughs> and my dog just had major surgery as well. And I was at home with her and my stomach was just turning. Um, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't feel like a food intolerance thing, but I am pretty stressed. Like my dog had huge surgery and her stomach was just a mess with stitches. Um, and I just remember thinking to myself, like it, it must just be stress yeah, yeah. or your period's coming. It's just a little bit late. And then something just tweaked in my head to like, there's a pregnancy test in the bathroom. Just, just go take it. Yeah. And I took the first one and it was negative. And I was like, oh, yeah. see, I knew it. I'm just being silly. I'm never going to be pregnant. What are you oh, talking about? You know, these chats you have with yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then three days later, I've, I've still got the food diary here. I thought I'll, I'll keep a food diary and not to like critique my nutrition, but just I did have a few food intolerances and I thought maybe I'm eating something that I didn't recognize or yeah, I'll just check. Um, and then three, four days later, I'm like, your food's exactly what it's been for months. Like there's nothing different. Um, and then I thought, oh, what are the chances? I'll just take another test. And then I took the test and the tiniest pink stripe come up, like so tiny. And I remember Googling, like, how pink does pink need to be? Like, what is this? <laughs> the things you Google. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, like, YouTube videos come up with, like, how pink the stripe needs to be, yeah. which is a little bit funny because I thought it would be a common sense thing. But no, you don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. I've never taken this test before. How am I supposed to know? And then I think 24, 48 hours later and 10 pregnancy tests later, I was convinced I actually was pregnant and told my husband. But, um, yeah, just the idea of it's never going to happen and then it does happen, mm. it's just mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. It's your body after everything that you've put it through and it's gone through and everything like that, I think. So, like how you said you were taking them for weeks after, I was the same. Even, like, after the ultrasound and everything, I would take one, like, once a week just to check. Yeah. Um, yeah because you're just like is this real like is this actually but, real because that's what it, it's just such a miracle and especially oh, you know HA hey, you, you feel like you're broken you feel like you've just done too much damage beyond repair yeah. and then the idea of your body just fulfilling everything you've ever wanted it's it's yeah the and then all you know the idea of being pregnant and you're so excited for it but then you're also terrified of something going wrong mm. did you find the first trimester you were just an emotional wreck because it was just that you're so excited so terrified um I was nauseous as as well but yeah. it was just this bubble of emotion how yeah. were your first 12 weeks oh, 100% uh, I was exactly the same and my partner's in the military so he was away for quite a bit of it and I was just like I didn't want to tell too many people but I also did because I was so proud of my body for getting pregnant but then I was so so anxious and you're right like no one talks about that first 12 weeks because you don't have the belly you don't feel the baby moving you get a few tests like maybe I don't know three or something I think I got a blood test and two ultrasounds but you're waiting and waiting and waiting between those appointments for confirmation that everything's fine you feel like hell mm. <laughs> I was saying like super sick um but then you google that and it's like you can still have um you know sickness and symptoms and blah 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 but have lost the baby and you just like yeah it's it's a real it's a really hard time that first 12 weeks and I hate that it's so taboo to talk about it and, and announce it um I almost did announce it early just on my social media because I was like this isn't fair like we as women it's so hard to get pregnant and then 
you've got like this this horrible time waiting with no support when you're anxious as anything and you're thinking you know what what if I do this and what if this happens and but you can't talk about it and I don't know it's horrible like yeah and, and it feels like you can make a decision that's going to ruin it yeah yeah um, like I really thought if I happened to eat something or do something or it, it, you know I could so easily miscarry yeah. um and even just the topic of miscarriages as well it's um if you tend to know women who've experienced them, they're very open about it for the most part. Yeah. Um, but if women haven't, it's just like, no, no, but don't talk about it because you might jinx it. Yeah. And for me, um, luckily I could talk to John about it. And then also one of my best friends knew, and sorry, my mum did too, but um, I needed to talk about my fear. Yeah. And it wasn't because I was being negative about the situation. It gave me comfort Yeah. to sort of be like, look, I know this is an outcome, but I just yeah, I need to validate how I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, and then I thought the same thing as you. I, I did wait a little bit longer to let anyone know, but part of me was like on my social media, I share everything anyway. Yeah. So if I was to have a miscarriage, I'm probably going to talk about it because yeah. for me, that's my therapy. I need to let people know how I'm thinking and how I'm feeling. And then if they resonate with it, fantastic. And if they don't, like it, it doesn't bother me. It's just um, yeah. for me that being that level of open, mm. um, it gives me power back. Yeah, I so agree. I actually regret not doing it because, yeah, I was the same. I was like, if I did miscarry, if anything happened, I would probably share that because, yeah, I think this whole thing is important to share the ups and downs of everything. And it's so empowering for other women to read that too. But, um, yeah, it is, it's a funny one. Hey, like, it's just not spoken about enough that first mm -hmm. sort of 12 weeks and the worry you have about miscarriage and even the subject of it all and everything. Um, when it is so, so stressful for you when you're going through it. Yeah, and I found the level of care quite low. I, I don't have the most faith in GPs as it is, just, you know, HA to begin with. It's like, oh, you know, it's normal. It's, no, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've, I've been seeing an acupuncturist throughout my HA recovery and he specialises mainly in fertility. So when I fell pregnant, he was my guru. Like I was seeing him every two weeks. I could email him whenever I wanted to. And honestly, if he could have delivered my baby, I would have let him because yeah. I just had <laughs> so much faith in him. But I remember the first 12 weeks, I sent him an email going, I, I just got a positive test. What do I do? What do I do? And he sent me this email saying, go to your GP. I want XYZ bloods done. Just go get that done. Come see me. Um, and then I'll guide you through. And I just remember the first appointment where, and I just went to a general GP because I don't really have a normal yeah. practitioner. And they were like, oh, so you're pregnant. That's good. Um, just take, oh, what is it? Folate? Folate, yeah. Yeah, just start taking folate daily. And I was like, oh, but can't I get some blood tests done to make sure what my levels are and just to confirm I'm like in a flourishing level of pregnancy, not a, yeah. you know, I need intervention. They've gone, oh, oh, you know, you can if you want to. And I was like, you know, I absolutely want to. And then I gave that list of the blood work that my um, acupuncturist wanted done. And I remember their expression being shocked. Like, why, why do you need all this? Like you've produced a positive pregnancy test. Just. Yeah. Like it's not just, a big deal. Yeah. Like just wait it out. Um, and obviously I went back for those results and then trusted in my G, um, acupuncturist. But even the first appointment with the hospital, I don't think was until I was 16 weeks. Mm, and I just it's such a long time and I, I did have my 12-week scan but I just remember thinking I've got all these emotions and all these questions and no one's ready to talk to me about it yet yeah. um, and like what you said you're not getting kicks yet you're not 
noticing movement all you've got is nausea which isn't a confirmation of pregnancy it's just yeah nausea um and I just remember being so shocked that there wasn't especially in that first 12 weeks just a a go-to resource of someone in a medical field that would just comfort you and and help like literally help yeah did you have that like your GP kind of just did your blood work and said wait till your hospital appointment Literally, and he even knew how hard I'd been trying to get pregnant too. Like, he was nice about it, but he was just so, like, I walk in there with all of my face creams and essential oils and, like, asking him, can I use this? Do I do this? Like, I was like, tell me what I can and can't do because I don't know what, like, I don't trust the information online. And who else are you supposed to ask for your GP? And he's just, like, sitting there Googling. It literally was googling stuff in front of me like what to eat prints me out this list of foods to avoid and I'm like this is crazy there's just I feel so unsupported um yeah it's not especially because it's from a google it's like I I could have googled it myself yeah I was hoping that you'd have that kind of knowledge well no even if they looked at a textbook I think I might have felt a bit more confident um but I think I'm like I'm so glad I had that acupuncturist oh I still see him now anyway because yeah. he, he was that saving grace. He did have all the information literally coming from his head because I went in with the same thing. I'm like, can I use this kind of moisturizer? Can I eat this kind of food? Da, 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 da. Yeah. And he was so calm about it and just so direct with answers that it made yeah. it simple. But um, yeah, I've got two friends that are pregnant at the moment and yeah, they had to wait 16 and 20 weeks for some of their first appointments too. Obviously yeah. COVID makes things a little bit worse, but I just find it so surprising. It's such an important time of your life for so many reasons yeah um you'd think the intervention would be better like it's just better. hands down better yeah I think that's that holistic approach is quite important there like go and see someone like an acupuncturist or mm. or somebody that's going to take a different approach I am um, I actually wish I did go back my my um acupuncturist was the exact same just so 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 supportive and I rung her actually was one of the first people when I found out I was pregnant um because it just felt like she cared and um yeah you, you really need that yeah and it's a, such a sincere level of caring as well mm-hmm. um like it, just what you said with email conversations and things like that too it's not like they make you wait till your appointment they've got that interaction from time to time yeah which is so helpful now when you were recovering from HA what was your exercise routine like you know, in the midst of HA versus when you decided to sort of take a step back and work on getting your hormone levels up? Um, so when I was in the midst of HA and what created it, I think was I was like, you know, your six day a week training um, intensely. Like I was a runner and I also did a lot of weights, but um, like high intensity exercises and weights and that type of thing. Um, so I would, and I would always do it first thing in the morning fasted. I'd run down to the gym and do my session before work. Um, so my cortisol levels were just absolutely through the Skyrocketing, roof. Skyrocketing, yeah. If I ate, I never ate anything. If I did, it was, I wouldn't eat, I would have a coffee or something like that. So that would just add to the mix there. Um, so that was prior. And then in HA recovery, it took me a while to cut it all out. Um, I slowly reduced it, like literally week by week. And I just walked outside because I found nature really therapeutic um just slowly slow walks listening to podcasts about HA and stuff yeah um and I did still do a bit of yoga through my whole um recovery and pregnancy as well and I loved that and it was just really really slow yoga I didn't 
um during yeah it was all vinyasa, vinyasa like very um like gentle that kind of thing yeah and I'd cut it at like 15 20 minutes max um and I did notice at one time I pulled back completely and cut it out for about a month because I noticed myself starting to get like obsessed with the routine of doing yoga every morning so mm -hmm. as soon as I noticed that I cut it out altogether because I didn't want to replace one thing with another mm. thing even though it's not high intensity I started to make it more of like a yeah it was too much like an obsession yeah it's where that default setting comes in again it's yeah. sort of it's it's a totally different means of training yeah but my happiness is dependent on it yeah if I'm not doing yoga I don't feel good and it's like oh we don't need that level of reliability anymore it's more right. we do it to feel good and feel great and if we don't do it well you know so be it there's plenty of other good things to do today that's it I found like yeah I caught myself quite badly doing that and I was like okay pull back again it's not working we had so much, I had so much of this through my recovery, like this isn't working, change it. Um, but yeah, I did sort of continue to do walking and stuff like that, but that was it. Walking and yoga was the only thing. So yeah, I loved walking. So that was, I just replaced my, most of my routine with walking or yoga as well. And yeah. um, we had like a nice walking track near my house. So I'd just do a 5k walk and there was a few little hills and stuff, which I liked because I still felt, you know, my legs working, but nothing intense. That so was just yeah it was my little trick in my brain to sort of be like, I'm doing something that's not mm -hmm. too relaxing. Um, but at the same time, it was so relaxing. So I remember I'd either be listening to podcasts, like what you said, or I would do like sensory walks where I just listen to anything I could hear. And it was super early in the morning. So there was barely any traffic on the roads and you just hear birds or you'd hear the wind blowing or um, I walked past the Creek as well. So you'd hear water trickling and yeah. I would just try and focus in on things I could smell, things I could hear um, and it's amazing how relaxed you are mm, in that time. To do as well, yeah. Yeah, and I, I look back now and I think, oh, it was such a good. Re and I, I've moved since then, so I don't have access to that track anymore. Um, but it's something that I suggest to quite a few women that you know, walking's wonderful. But if you can add in that sensory element, because it helps so much to just switch your brain off, especially if you're not into meditation, because some people learn to love it and others it's just like it's not my cup of tea yeah <laughs> you know um but yeah the sensory walks are absolutely beautiful um yeah. and it's like the more you practice them the more you can get immersed in the sounds and things like that because your brain just it simmers down that's it I yeah. think it's really nice to also like have appreciation for the little things that you don't usually notice like I remember when I would go on my walks I was like you sometimes I wouldn't do anything but look around and I would notice like animals like there was all these, these little bunny rabbits that would run past and like I'd notice things and I think I remember sometimes I would post about it because I'd be like I would never have seen this if I was running running this track with my like music like banging in my ears and mm. just you're on a mission to get to 10k or whatever it was yeah um, so it was really nice to start like yeah for you appreciate little things around you and the beauty of nature and all that sort of thing and I think that's another part off that healing altogether which is really nice yeah you're right it's like your whole world opens up when you learn to slow down yeah. um because I find even let's say you're training at the gym and you're dieting and all these kinds of things because you're just running on adrenaline and cortisol all the time you're just so sharp focused on the task ahead there's no time to allow for anything else in um and just what you were saying about the rabbits we had rabbits on this walk as well and I remember even just stopping to watch them because they were really cute yeah. and they're just hopping around and all that sort of thing but in the past even if it was a walk I would have been like I need to do this walk as fast as possible 
yeah like and and oh I don't know do a backflip in between us you know you had to have that sort of intensity where this I just stopped and I didn't feel bad about it and obviously it took time to get there at the start there was a little bit of a you know get through this walk fast um because it comes in stages you know it's not simple um but yeah that that idea of just being able to be present and actually enjoy what's in front of you rather than just being in a hurry to get everything done and move on to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing and then you just end up in that crazy whirlwind that's yeah you you lose yourself even though you're stuck in that routine it's um it's not a fulfilling routine it's just you don't know how to not do it routine that's it I think that's half the reason it becomes like therapeutic to you when you are going through other stressful things is because you just go, go, go all the time on autopilot and stressed out and not dealing with anything that you just carry on on that adrenaline rush and don't pay attention to what's going on in your body or anything like that. So, Yeah. Did you find you become a lot more emotional throughout your HA journey, not just on the seeing your body change and changing your routine, but just um, I noticed that even so in my teenage years, I remember I'd be the girl who if I watched a sad movie, I'd cry. Yeah. Like, and I'd get laughed at by everyone in the room because I just cry <laughs> over everything. But then as my intensity with training and things like that ramped up, I lost that. Like I was just, I'd get sad, but I'd never draw an emotional card from a movie or anything. And yeah. then as I started going through my HA journey and just slowing down, it's like all those emotions resurfaced and suddenly yeah. I not quite the draw of the hat, but you know, it's so much easier for your, for you to feel, to feel yeah. happiness, sadness. Did you experience that as well? I did yeah I definitely did I like and I it's a really horrible I I experienced it in the way that I used to just shut off emotions like if my partner and I would have an argument or something like that I just wouldn't be able to feel for him as much or have had much compassion or just or care as much about what was going on like I found that I started to become a lot more of a nicer person and a more compassionate person because I was just so like stressed out and over it and just didn't really. You don't have the capacity to feel. Yeah, I didn't. And I, yeah. and I noticed that side of it. Like I became more emotional in that respect, um, which is a good thing. And I think I'm really glad I did because I look back and I'm like, I don't think you're a very nice person sometimes because you just didn't know how to express your emotions at all. And things wouldn't bother you as much mm. because you were just so like. Yeah, oh. everything was clean cut. And it was so much easier and I don't mean this in a positive way because I actually think being able to feel those kind of emotions are actually powerful, not debilitating. But I even remember thinking during those times, like feeling emotions makes you vulnerable and that's, that's a weakness and that's, we're not going to do that. So even if I felt something kick in, it was like, nope, no, I'm not doing it. Like I'm, I'm not going to feel this. Hence I'll go train again or I'll go fast for 24 hours or whatever it might be. And it was just that control kick in. Um, but it's amazing just that that disconnect you know you've got the physical disconnect because you're not listening to your body but you've got that emotional disconnect where you're not even allowing yourself to feel Um, but then I guess on the holistic approach you've got the spiritual disconnect too because that's essentially what forms your identity that's it I think um, in that holistic approach as well like I think it's very much I don't know if you're into like masculine and feminine energy as well I think it's like you are living so predominantly in your masculine energy Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that in a way, in a way to be sexist or that males don't feel things, but you're all, you're that go, 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 do, do, do mentality that you don't express yourself creatively or vulnerably or anything like that. Your feminine side just gets completely shut down. So 
No, I, I totally agree. Um, the feminine side completely gets shut out. And for the most part, I remember feeling that, like I knew that I did that, but I took ownership of it. It's like, yeah, because I'm, I mean, that's kind of what makes me unique. Yeah. That I, I'm not that girly girl who's, you know, getting at like teary or emotional or yeah. is doing arts and crafts or all those kind of things where now it's sort of like I, I try to make sure I actually incorporate that into my daily life because it turns yeah. out those things actually make me feel really good yeah. but you need to allow the space for them to feel good in order for it to happen otherwise you just stay in that level of disconnect um, and even as a new mum the same thing happened again because you think about the rigid routines that you've got and as you'll soon learn like when you have a baby you're there's no such thing as a routine at the start. Yeah. Um, and even for the most part now, like we've got a general gist of Cosima's sleep, say sleeping patterns and things like that, but things chop and change, you know, are they teething? Are they sick? Are they, um, have they played as much as they did yesterday? All those kinds of things. And I think about the rigidity that I had during HA and I could not have handled motherhood because there was yeah. too many variables. Like yeah. it just, I would have crumbled. Um it's so amazing that you say that because do you reckon like are you so grateful that you had to sort of learn that in a way like oh no absolutely absolutely I am because I by the time I fell pregnant and Cosima was born I was ready to be mum like I had allowed space and I'd learned that the world's not going to end if I don't train or if I don't eat perfectly or if I'm not perfect not that I ever was perfect but you've got that kind of yeah idea in your head um and I don't think I would have enjoyed motherhood as much as I have if I was the person I was during HA. So for me, HA was a blessing in disguise because if mm-hmm. let's say I was blessed and I did fall pregnant, um, emotionally, I think I would have been a mess Yeah, because sure. I just had in my head that I have to train X amount of hours and I have to eat this and I have to do that. And you know, I'll have some days where I'm like, Hey, I can't wait to do a training session today. And then something happens and it, I just can't train. Yeah. And I just sweep it under the rug. Like it doesn't matter. I'll train yeah. tomorrow. But that would never would have happened. It would yeah. have been like, oh my gosh, I'm angry. I'm stressed. I'll I'll go train at 10 p.m. tonight if I have to, or I'll wake up at 4 a.m. the next morning to double up on what mm. I missed. Or um, and I wouldn't have even been present through it. I would have just been trying to think about everything I yeah. It would have been horrible. Like <laughs> no, um, I feel that so much. Like you literally I feel like you're in my head like I just I'm not even there yet you know being a mother but even with pregnancy like I feel like that is exactly you nailed it that's exactly yeah what it would have what I feel like it would have been like yeah well pregnancy is much the same it's like if you have a even when you have a great pregnancy there's still things where you randomly don't have a good day like you feel emotional or you feel sick or yeah. I don't know just something happens you never quite know what any day is gonna yeah hold but um yeah I'm it's nice when other people can resonate with it because I'm sure whether you're sort of going through HA now or you're over it, it's sort of, you know, there's so many lessons in that process. And um, yeah, for me, again, it was just, it was that blessing. And I feel like motherhood is so much more beautiful and I can enjoy it so much more because I've learned that. Yeah. And you're present in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, going back to, I guess, your HA recovery side of things though, how, how long was it when you were just sort of doing yoga and walking before? I'm just going to say that first ovulation happened because obviously yeah. your timeline's a little bit different as to the first period. Yeah, um, yeah. But had you been doing that for a couple of months, a couple of weeks? Um, when I actually was in HA recovery, like I, it's really hard to pinpoint because 
I was in quasi recovery for quite some time. I would say I gave it my all for about six months. Mm-hmm. Um, because before that, like this six months plus prior before that, I was I knew what I needed to do, but I wasn't committing properly and I'd go back and forth and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I would say it would, it would have been about six months solid work, like solid focusing on um, the all-in sort of approach. Yeah. I don't like to sort of refer to it as that because I did it in my own way, but you know what I mean, like increasing calories and reducing exercise. But that's such an important thing too, and I come up with Elise yesterday actually, which is even though at the end of the day everyone kind of ends up in an all-in space, the procedure of that is so different and so unique to each person going through it. And for the most part, no one just, not no one, it's less likely that someone just gives up training and starts eating more and mentally physically feels fine about it for the most part it is two steps forward one step back two steps forward one step back and I'm feeling great about this process I hate this process oh my god I feel majestic and amazing this effing sucks like (laughs) it's such a whirlwind um what do you think helped you through some of the dark times of HA um they were horrible hey like I just I feel like if it wasn't for my partner for one and my sister I don't and like the girls that I met along the way and stuff um that were going through I just I don't know I don't even know if I would have been able to get out of those times like I just remember feeling so down like I have broken my body and I can't even believe this is the protocol to to regain my health and my fertility back and it was really connecting with those people those support people in my life um that helped and also just always returning to my why and making sure that I was doing the things that made me feel good in those dark times like journaling or getting out in nature or doing a bit of meditation or refocusing my energy somewhere else or trying to work on my self-esteem and finding the things that I like to do that were non-related to controlling my body and finding the things I liked about myself that were not related to my physical appearance and that type of thing um but it was constant constant like work at that um and every single time it got a little bit easier I'd also use my Instagram quite a lot for that time like I would really share my journey a lot I found that really therapeutic to write about um sometimes I wouldn't post things but sometimes I would and it would just help to share Mm -hmm. that's how I found it like all of those things together I guess Yeah. And it's sort of like you get clarity from exposing your thoughts, like you said, whether you post it or not, but just the idea of getting your thoughts on paper or, you know, typing it up in your notes. Um, I always found that let's say your emotion attached to whatever thought you've got is at a hundred percent. As soon as you get it out of your head, for the most part, it will reduce down to say 50%. So you still might feel something over it, but it's not this catastrophized sort of idea that, you know, you can't cope or you're struggling. It's actually something that you can breathe through or talk yourself through it. Or um, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel versus when it sort of all gets trapped up in there. And it's almost like you I used to think about it to myself and suddenly just popped into my head now. But imagine if you had, say, 10 people like running towards a door, trying to squeeze through and you've got like arms and legs and everything hanging out. Yeah. That's how your thoughts feel. It's just like there's so much happening at once yeah. that you you can't even sometimes string them together. Yeah, because you're so fighting with yourself. Like, it's so busy in there. Yeah, And then all of a sudden you get it on paper and it could be a bit of gibberish at the start. But when you read through it, you can sort of go, oh, hang on, this is really logical. Oh, look, that makes a little bit of sense. Let's dig a little bit deeper on that. 
don't even know where that come from. And you mm. can sort of break it down and go, okay, what's actually a, what's actually a good thought to work with right now? Yeah. And what's something that we can chop and change? Did you find that with your journaling practices that you could sort of analyze what was going on? Yeah, definitely. It started off at the start, like I would journal and just like do brain dumps every morning and just get it off my mind or talk to somebody. Yeah, just to get it out. Um, because you're right, then you can realize, I think when it's all in your head and you're not getting it out and expressing it in some way, you're fighting with yourself because you're like, I know what I need to do and I want to do this and I know my why and I know the reasons, but X, Y, and Z conditioning, negative thoughts, self-limiting beliefs, whatever is popping in and it's just like too much. So yeah, I used to do a lot of the brain dumping journaling style, just like write, just didn't even make sense just write it all out and just to get it out because I think yeah that really really helped yeah did you find you really nasty to yourself very nasty to myself and I'd have to like rip up and get rid of the pieces of paper because I'd even start criticizing like if my grammar or my writing was messy or that those perfectionist tendencies would come back and um yeah just some of the stuff that was going on in my head I was like wow but I needed to get it out and I needed to work through it and like try and break down why I had such negative thoughts and, and what they actually meant and where they came from because mm-hmm. um, yeah you, you you are really nasty to yourself yeah I um I did CrossFit for a little while alongside the bodybuilding side of things and I remember it was a really positive influence because their culture is a lot more like eat so that you can work out really hard and that actually helped me break some barriers with my eating disorders because I was suddenly in a community where fueling was important um yeah. but I remember some of the wads and things like that I'd obviously smash myself doing them and I was pretty fit and strong so when it come to say like the girls I was one of the better performers of the group um but I remember there was some times where we'd be doing something and it was say one of my weaknesses and the self-talk I had was like you know you're so disgusting everybody hates you you're pathetic and I remember I'd finish the workout I'd be on the floor barely able to breathe and I'd just cry I'd cry for like five minutes because I had just mentally battered myself so much. And I remember, you know, people coming up being like, are you okay? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just exhausted. Like I just pushed too hard. But yeah. I was crying because I just degraded myself so yeah. incredibly. And I look back now and I, I'm not nasty in nature to anybody, yet the capacity I had to be nasty to myself blows my mind. Mm. And I think back and I'm like, I don't even know how I got that mean yeah it's horrible and it's like where does something like I'm nobody likes me come from when it's like to do with exercise and like I'm not yeah it's all that I'm not good enough and it's yeah that's horrible it's horrible and you're right you would never say it to somebody else like absolutely not and you know what I I don't think I even have the capacity to think about someone especially in an exercise frame of mind you know you've got someone who's committed a crime or something yes you can have negative thoughts yeah. But if someone's working out, I would never even use those kind of words to describe any kind of situation. And yet somehow it all related to me and, yeah, yeah. it was all consuming. And it, you just go into such a dark place. Yeah. It's not nice, hey, I think. And it's so important to get those thoughts out of your head so you can make sense and you can start to realise, wow, this has just been going on. Like, and I've just been letting it go on. Yeah, absolutely. Did you find that, um, I guess, so once you found out you were pregnant, what kind of training were you doing then? Did you just stick to the walking and yoga? Did you add yeah. in a little bit of weights? What What have you been I doing? I hardly changed anything. In my second trimester, about 
yeah, it was about my second trimester. I started to feel really good. So I was doing a bit of um, body weight Pilates and stuff, like pregnancy safe. Um, but yeah, that's it. I didn't ever incorporate anything too drastic. I did go for a few, actually, no, it's a lie. I did go through for a few jogs mm -hmm. down by the river when I was like, instead of walking, I would do a few runs. Um, because obviously exercise is good and healthy in pregnancy. And it was only if I really felt like it and it, it felt really good. But like, I don't know, I think I did that for a wee bit and then I started to get really bad pelvic pain and I was like, mm. okay, no, let's backtrack. Um, and yes, and Pilates and yoga, but nothing too strenuous. Did you find that, I guess, the comparison between that negative self-talk when you were sort of smashing yourself with training and whatnot versus when you're doing your pregnancy Pilates or even just that little jog, let's say you felt a tweak or you couldn't hold something for as long as the instructor said that you were able to just like think nothing of it and it was just yeah, a, oh stop. like I've, I've done my best for today I'll just keep going versus you know you suck you're yeah. horrible 100%. did you notice like a, a deep appreciation just for this is the best my body can do right now and I'm happy with that yeah absolutely like one because I was like I've got a baby to look after and two because like for me I love running like I absolutely adore running I don't know I'm one of those weird people that was like really I hate every other cardio I hate it but I love running. And so I was like, when I would go for those little jogs, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this feels so good. I appreciate my body. I'm like loving doing this. But yeah, if there was like a, a pain or something where I couldn't go as fast or as long, like that wouldn't bother me. So yeah, it was a completely different, I was doing it from a completely different place. It was like respect for my body and appreciation for my body rather than punishment. Yeah. And it was a lot easier to listen to the cues your body was giving you. Like if you felt the tweak, it was just, okay, today's not the day for this, or yeah. this isn't appropriate for me. Um, yeah. And especially with a baby in there, I was like, I'm not going <laughs> to anything. Like I did so much research before I even started. Cause I got the urge to, I was like, Oh, I feel like I could like increase a little bit. And I know it's okay. And stuff. I did so much research and asking and whatever, before I even started to do that. And then like before I was even comfortable to start because once again, it was back to like, I don't want anything to go wrong with this. So, yeah. yeah. Um, did you find, so obviously there's so many levels to overcoming eating disorders and things like that. And I found that um, when I got my period back and even when I fell pregnant, I was pretty comfortable when it come to eating a variety of foods and listening to my hunger. Um, but I still had some level of, I guess, commentary as to, are you like, are you sure you're hungry? Do you really want to eat that? Um, I still had some questions around food before I ate it, after I ate it. Yeah. Nothing that would make me derail, but it was still that sort of commentary. Um, but I found that when I was pregnant, it almost completely healed my, my distorted eating habits because I found it really clear cut that I was either really hungry or I just wasn't at all there mm. was no sort of in between and I remember just feeling so free about it because even though I had made progress in the meantime with the overall HA recovery there was still always a dialect around food back and forth yeah. back and forth back and forth um, and then pregnancy happened and I still had little rules in mind where I, I didn't want to eat unless someone was eating with me yeah. or um, if I did want to eat then I'd kind of go do it in hiding because I just I still felt weird about if I was hungry and someone else wasn't yeah. um, but then when I was pregnant because it was just this hardcore no I'm starving yeah. um, I was able to break free of those 
last, I guess, shackles that were left, which was, I actually don't care if I'm the only one hungry in the room, I'm, I'm going to eat because I can tell I'm so hungry. Mm-hmm. And at the same front, everyone around me is eating and I just don't feel hungry. I didn't, because sometimes I'd question that as well. Like you say no to food because, you know, you've got these old habits kicking in or, yeah. you know, you overanalyze where it was so easy to just go, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat. I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat regardless of who's with me, what we're doing. Um, and I found even postpartum, it was the exact same thing. So breastfeeding made me starving. And mm-hmm. I remember being like, oh my gosh, you're eating so much food. Cause I, I was, but at the same time it was like, yeah, but you are sincerely hungry. So yeah whatever just go with it um did you find you sort of made even bigger improvements throughout your pregnancy with just being in tune with yourself what your body needs um yeah did you have any kind of experience like that I think so yeah definitely with the morning sickness because you know how like the the only way to get over when you're feeling sick sometimes is just to eat something little Mm -hmm. um well for me it was like every time I'd feel nauseous I just have to have like a couple of crackers or some water or something like that, a little snack. And previously I would have been like, well, it's not meal time. It's not snack time. It's not three hours in between food or whatever rule I had for myself. Um, So yeah, it was a lot easier to listen to my body in that respect and also go with what I felt like because like I literally did not want to eat any vegetables. I went through the same thing. I'm like, am I broken? What is going on? I'd hide them like in my smoothies and stuff because I was like, I want to give the babies something precious. But um, and yeah, like it was a funny one, but it was like, I'm just gonna eat what I actually can get down, and I don't care what it is. Like, I just need to eat. Like, so yeah, absolutely, I did feel like that. It pushed me through probably a lot of little barriers that would have still been there and I think you're always going to have like little things and little thoughts I have little thoughts that pop up still but it's like how quickly I push through them and how much power I don't give them any power when they come up it's just I did that for half my life of course they're going to probably be there yeah Um, so yeah I definitely think that in the first trimester especially and then in the third trimester like you I'm eating a little bit all the time because I just I get so full so quickly, but then I'm so hungry. So it's like yes. I'm constantly just eating little bits and yeah. Yeah, but even um just that first 12 weeks, especially if you get morning sickness, yeah. I, it's almost, um it's like survival. Yeah. Because <laughs> I remember thinking I'm nauseous all the time anyway. Like who called it morning sickness? Because I'm sick all day. Like yeah. <laughs> all day. For some reason, I'd get like a one hour window at five or six o'clock. Yeah. And it would go for one hour. But really? yeah, it was so weird. Um, but I just remember thinking if I eat something small, I'm not as nauseous for just that, say, half an hour, 45 minutes. So yeah. as much as I'm looking at food and it makes me want to vomit, if I just eat it, I feel that little bit better for that little bit. And then it's just the backwards and forth. And just what you said about the crackers, because I remember eating crackers too, or rice cakes, they're just plain dry rice cakes. And essentially the old me would have been like that's not a meal like yeah. there's nothing nutritious about that where's where's the protein where's the veggies where's your spinach yeah yeah and instead I was like yeah I don't care if I live off a bag of rice cakes every day for the rest of this pregnancy this is all I can stomach no I know and like doing it like in the morning like with the crackers isn't a food that I would have usually like no cake. absolutely we never had it in our cupboard and then suddenly it's like I can't live without them yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so funny hey 
everything goes out the window even in, in the night like there's a few times where I woke up so hungry in the middle of the night and I went down for a snack and I was like this is wild like I've never done um yeah actually yes the midnight snack so um I'm not sure whether you choose to breastfeed or anything like that and like I'm very much a fed is best kind of girl like mm. when it comes to baby but um because I did end up breastfeeding and my body was allowing me to do that um oh I'd get starving at like midnight 2 a.m 3 a.m and normally if I woke up hungry which I used to I was like no you're not due to eat yet you're not allowed yeah. to eat until say 8 a.m and this yeah. time around I was like oh my gosh I'm starving like I, I can't not eat I remember yeah. I had like a bag of nuts beside my bed in the hospital because yeah. um I said to John I'm like I know we've had dinner but I'm gonna get hungry in a few hours and I won't be able to get access to food can you bring me in like some nuts and some fruit yeah and I was like oh you're going to eat throughout the night because normally I wouldn't eat anyway if yeah. no one else was. And he's like, and you're giving me a shopping list for food? He goes, Aww. who are you? And I'm like, I don't know. Who <laughs> when they acknowledge that. I reckon my partner would be the same. I've already decided like to put little, I, I'm the same. I, I really hope I can breastfeed and I'm going to try my hardest. But like I've um, heard you can sit up, you should sit up little like breastfeeding stations with your nipple pads and you were yeah. nipple cream and then snacks and I was like yeah <laughs> yeah I because I underestimated all of it I remember researching like there was no tomorrow um having low supply mm. of milk and I, I sort of thought that I might have that problem I don't know why I just I think whenever I looked at breastfeeding it was always trying to improve milk supply so I kind yeah. of thought that was really common um but then I had engorgement so I had oversupply right. and it was very much like no you've got to keep pumping to yeah like, get rid of it and I, I didn't even know that was a thing and I had no idea being ravenous was associated with breastfeeding um but then I started sort of reading up about other women's stories and things like that and the snacks is such an important staple it's like you need food around you all the time because yeah, yeah you're going to get hungry and just own it yeah um <laughs> don't don't hold off because it can affect your supply as well yeah um yeah so and and then it links back into the whole HA thing again because I found even with breastfeeding if I reduced my calories, because I did a few times when I just got a bit uncomfortable with myself, yeah. I noticed my supply dropped. And it's like, hands down, your body's telling you, like, yeah. stop doing this. You yeah. need food. Just stop. Um, but again, it was more lessons learned. And I was in a capacity to go, yeah, I'm going to listen. Like, yeah, but that's cool. That's like, I was going to ask you that. Did you acknowledge like, and be like, oh, yeah, this is why. And you're probably more in tune. Yeah, well, you would be more in tune with your body. How to be able to be like, oh, this means I need to eat not. Yeah. And look, it was, it was still work because I had that ongoing commentary of you need to lose the baby weight, even though like, I, I don't even know why I thought that I just, it just gets stuck in your head that you've got to lose that baby weight. And, um, and I even created loopholes. Like I remember I started running because of lockdowns and things like that. And I don't, I don't really like running, but I, I wanted to exercise. So it was appealing. I didn't have access to a gym. Um, and obviously cardio burns calories. Um, and yeah, I just noticed if I did the cardio, oh, that's, that's what it was. Cause I didn't have a period anyway, cause I was breastfeeding. Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, oh, now's a good time to get away with cardio because you know, when you want to get your period back, you're probably going to have to drop it, which yeah. is such a silly thing to think, but that's, that's what I created. Um, and then it wasn't long after that I noticed it wasn't so much the running, but if I dropped my food, yeah, the milk would slow down. And I was like, milk supply and making sure my baby's happy is way more important yeah. than how I look, how I feel, anything at all. Um, so it was very easy for me to just flick the switch once I recognized what was happening. 
It's like, all right, there's a correlation, not going to do that. Um, And then with the running, it was the same kind of thing. I just noticed that I was feeling worse than when I started. And it's like, you've learned from this before. If you're doing any kind of movement where you finish feeling worse than when you started, it's not positive. Yeah. It's not work. Unless you're, you know, an athlete going to the Olympics or competitive or whatever, totally different. But for the most part, when we exercise, it's, it's for health. Um, And again, like I learned those things and then I stopped doing cardio gyms opened up anyway. So that made it a little bit easier. I could go back to doing some weights and things. Um, But of course I stopped breastfeeding. I was doing zero cardio, a few weights training sessions a week. And my baby weight started to drop like unintentionally just, yeah. And a big part of it, I think was literally because I wasn't worried about exercise and I was just eating when I was hungry and I stopped breastfeeding. I held so much weight, whether it was fluid, fat, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I stopped breastfeeding and my body just changed within, gosh, six weeks. And again, nothing, nothing intentional. Yeah. Just, um, yeah, I don't know. Bodies do crazy things. Like, <laughs> see, like your body's doing it naturally. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with your body naturally finding its set point either, I think. Yeah. And that's, and that's what it feels like now. It's sort of um, whatever my body shape or size is, is this is me. This is my happy space. Yeah. Um, and I got my period back. Oh, maybe two or three weeks once I stopped breastfeeding. Yeah. Because that was a fear as well. I was so scared I was going to end up in HA again because I didn't have my period as a gauge. Um, But then, yeah, when I did get it back and I haven't done any cardio, it's kind of just made me steer away from it because it's like deep down I know where my body's happy place is. And I think whether you're in recovery or you're pregnant right now or you're post-recovery, if you take the time to just really listen to yourself, you yeah. know exactly the level of exercise your body needs to flourish. Yeah. And if that is just walking, like, you know, it's just walking. Yeah. If it's a few weight sessions or it is running, like I'm not going to demonize any kind of exercise because it's, yeah. it's just not like that. Some people's capacities more than others and that's okay. But if you can just slow down and listen, yeah, you can work out exactly what your body needs. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, a beautiful thing, hey. Like it's we're all so different in that respect as well. And that's why some people get HA and some people don't get HA. We get bothered by that because you know, some people can get away with this and some people can't, and that's just because we're all so individual. Yeah, and it used to really rub me up the wrong way as well. Like I'd be so happy for people who fell pregnant that were super fit and lean, but I remember two crossfitters, like elite crossfitters at the games, fell pregnant in the same year. And I'm like, you train all day, you're yeah. shredded. How the hell are you pregnant? (laughs) Like I was happy, but at the same time, I was like, why me? Why? Um, And I think that's part of it too, because now it's like, I I don't care. Yeah. It's just, this is me and I'm going to make the most of that instead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When it comes to the women that you're coaching, um, what do you find their biggest barriers to recovery are? Do you find that it's sort of letting go of exercise or a lot of it's sort of eating disorder focused? More so letting go of exercise. I always find that's the hardest part for everybody um, because it's such a clutch. It's such like a vice for a lot of people is the exercise and replacing those habits and um, and not feeling restless and, um, and mixed with seeing their body change, like the weight gain. When you have, like going from your personal experience and also women that you work with as well, when they come to you or when you experience seeing your body change shape and, you know, you're gaining some body fat, your your clothes are fitting tighter than what they used to, what sort of practices do you encourage or self-talk to sort of get them through those those tough times? Um, I encourage them to 
like really at the start of everything is really get clear on their why because you often have to return to that when you're going through those feelings of discomfort and those feelings of weight gain it's weight gain tends to take over and throw you off track left right and center because and you start to think that that's all HA recovery is about when it's not HA recovery is about getting your body back healthy getting your life back and all the other reasons that you've that you started this journey for weight gain is just a byproduct and I often try and remind them of that and remind them that it's more like weight restoration like your body to be healthy it obviously needs this amount of weight and if you're restricting that's not where you're supposed to be so sort of reframing their mind to sit around weight for one and then also returning to their why and also finding like the coping mechanisms when it is getting really bad like questioning why those thoughts are coming out why you hold so much value in in your appearance and why weight gain is such a negative thing for you and 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 how to to cope with those days that are really bad and push through those days that are really bad and um what mechanisms are you going to do and what outlets are you going to do and there's a whole lot of different approaches and ways to tackle that I think because it's such a huge part, mm. such a roadblock in recovery. Yeah, and it's so unique to the individual too because you yeah. don't know whether the emotional links are due to, you know, childhood or present times or there's so many variables to it. Yeah, yeah. So that's like, yeah, there's a few different ways you can go about it, but most people need a bit of everything depending on where it's come from and why it's so terrible for them, the weight gain. Did you ever find personally or with anyone that you've worked with that sometimes they can get into a space where they think that recovery is purely about the calories? So they start smashing food, the quality food irrelevant, just having copious amounts of calories, but it's coming from a very toxic place. They're almost punishing themselves with food. And it's like, I've just got to eat this and I want to get my period back. And it's it's coming from a place of anger. It's like, I hate that I've got to do this, but I'm going to force myself on it. Um, and personally, I believe that that level of emotion isn't going to encourage HR recovery at all because yeah. you're sort of just demonizing a process. Um, have you ever experienced that with yourself or anybody else where they're sort of almost abusing themselves with food on the opposite side of the scale where it's gone from restriction to like overdoing it? Not really, not really personally because I didn't like, like I didn't count calories in my recovery. I knew that I was under eating and I knew to just sort of more so focus on eating consistently, eating nourishing foods and overcoming those food fears. And that's sort of what I encourage with my clients because I don't want to create a negative. I don't want food to be demonized. I don't want food to be obsessed over. I just want food to be part of life for Mm -hmm. me and my clients. Like I just want it to be a normal thing and take away all of the emotions that we have around food and all the stress that we have around food. So I'm also encouraged trying to eat intuitively, which doesn't happen overnight because you've blocked those hunger cues and stuff for so long. But yeah, I would also encourage just like eat your breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, that kind of eating. Make sure you're getting all your macros without obsessing over it. Just be like, okay, I've got some protein. I've got some carbs. I've got some fats. This is what I feel like if something's coming up in your mind telling you not to eat it, question that thought process. Why are you not allowing yourself to eat it? Try and overcome it that way and just sort of do it gradually like that and not make make it so like you have to get to 2,500 calories mm. and, 
if you're not there by the end of the day, then you better go and stuff yourself with an extra blah, 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 because I think that creates a really negative relationship with food. And Well, I think it creates another eating disorder. It kind of does. It's, yeah. yeah, it's sort of getting rid of one and forcing on another one because I, I do believe in the intuitive eating side of things. And for some, you know, they definitely do need 2,500 calories, but for others, they don't. So again, it's that that level of variation of, um, yeah. and I guess it's almost a bit of an experimental process too as to, all right, we know we need to level up on our food, but yeah. we don't need to in a place that's going to provoke really negative emotion or something that's going to make you feel super uncomfortable like there's always a level of discomfort that, that sort of needs a gauge on it as well yeah. um, you shouldn't be hitting a 10 every time but yeah, you, know, you might be at a three or a four or a five um yeah but that sort of comes back and forth um if you were to give um someone i guess your top two or three tips when it comes to coping with recovery what what are your two or three main things that either helped you or you find helps your clients the most I think, um, like I said before, like really getting clear on the reason that you're doing this and get clear in the fact that why are you doing this? Write it down, like look back at it all the time. Make sure that you are always familiar with the reason why you started this in the first place for those moments that you get off track. It is so important to come back to your why and come back to your, your reason because when you get into those dark places, you just everything else takes over and you forget and you just want to go completely backwards. I think that's really important to get clear on, on that aspect. Um, and also to really believe and trust in your body and know that it wants to heal. I think something that really got me through was knowing that my body is made to do this, knowing my body wants to heal. It wants to be healthy. It wants my period back yes, I've gone down this path of restricting and I've lost my period, but it's fighting for me. Like it's not fighting against me. And if I listen to it and I keep going with this, we will get there together. We're, we're not, it's not working against me and it's not hating me for what I've done. It's trying its best and it just needs some time because yeah, a lot of it is about just allowing that time to heal. And that's where it can get really frustrating waiting. So knowing that your body wants to heal is a big one. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that front because it is definitely you feel so broken and damaged and like you've done everything wrong and it's beyond repair. And um, there's so much power when you actually start to believe that your body's trying to look after you because at the start it's it's almost like you're rehearsing this sentence but it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And then you start to sh see shifts and you actually believe in it and then obviously your body responds and it's like, oh, wow, you know, yeah. this body is so amazing. Like if I give it the right environment, it is going to flourish and it is going to give me a cycle or allow for pregnancy or, you know, all, all multitude of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such an important thing to know that at the end of the day, your body is just trying to do the best that it can to care for you yeah. um, with what it's got available to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's smart. It's, it's really smart, but it's, it's hard to give it credit, but it's shut down the reproductive system because it's too stressed out and it knows that it's not the right place to, make a baby even if that's not what you're wanting you know that's what our periods are for um it's smart that it's shut down that that part to preserve energy for more importantly like bodily functions um give it some credit that it will try it will get that back but it just needs a bit of love and patience yeah love for sure <laughs> um I think that's a beautiful place for us to sort of finish up our chat and it's been so lovely speaking with you and I love the 
the sort of back and forth between the HA side of things and being pregnant and then the link between all of it. It's been a fabulous conversation. Um, And I'm so grateful to have you on. Now, if anyone listening wants to reach out and connect with you, what's the best method to do so? Um, Probably my Instagram because it's got everything else on it. So the wellness antidote, it's Beautiful. So I'll definitely link that in the show notes and um, hopefully some people can reach out and have a chat with you and also stay up to date with your pregnancy because obviously it's not long until <laughs> baby comes earthside. Um, now, do you know the gender? You don't, do you? Yeah, no, I do. Little girl. Oh, little girl. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't remember. Um, that that's so exciting. Did you do a gender reveal or anything like that? Or Nah, I wasn't really. Like, I made cookies and true my style. I love baking and stuff. <laughs> yeah. like thinking marshmallows but um not like I didn't make a big deal of it I haven't really put too much about it so some people know and some people don't but Uh, yeah it's very exciting I'm sure everyone will stay tuned to see that next stage of your life as well but thank you again so so much for coming on it's been absolutely fabulous and we'll definitely keep in touch thank you thank you bye Thanks so much for joining in on today's episode. I hope you absolutely loved it and loved hearing Nikki's story of her HA journey and pregnancy before that first period. You know, it's such a beautiful and unique story and, you know, miracles and those happy, fabulous experiences really do happen. And I love that I was able to share that with you today. As always, if you could share this podcast, subscribe or leave a review, that would be amazing as the more input we get on that side of things, the easier it reaches other people who would benefit from this podcast and at the end of the day that's why I'm here to help you guys get through some of those dark times and enjoy all the fabulous ones thanks so much for being here and I'll see you in the next one